Hi, and welcome to the History Respawn podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. On today's episode, we'll be discussing a new history game called Blackhaven, developed by Historiated Games. Blackhaven is a first-person narrative game that follows the story of Kendra Turner. Kendra works as a summer intern at Blackhaven Hall History Society, a museum commemorating a large 18th-century American estate. Throughout the course of the game, players discover that the historical society's potted history of Blackhaven hides a long history of secrets and misdeeds. Joining me today to walk through the story behind Blackhaven is the game's developer, James Coltrane. James is an assistant professor of game design at the University of Connecticut, and he holds a PhD in history from Northwestern. His research focuses on the development of public-facing humanities-themed games. His PhD work, centered on historic architecture and material culture in early America, that interest really shines through in Blackhaven. James, welcome to History Respond. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. Awesome. Well, James, I had a chance to play this game uh, a week or so ago. I really enjoyed it. And I was curious, uh, what was your background and what led you into developing historical games? Yeah, um, I'm originally trained as a, as a historian. Uh, like you said, I got my PhD and uh, it's actually uh, my concentration was in early American history at Northwestern. And um, I used to be a history professor at the University of Nebraska. Uh, but I had always had a digital element to my research. And in particular, uh, I did a lot of writing about um, architecture and I would do um, 3D graphic reconstructions um, of uh, old uh, historic sites and buildings. And so I had that um, 3D asset creation skill set. And then uh, in my job, I was also uh, working with the Center in Digital Humanities, uh, uh, which is just using um, digital methods to study history and art and literature. And uh, as part of that, um, I learned to code and then kind of realized all of a sudden that I had the skill set to start experimenting uh, making games. And I have played games ever since I was a kid. And in particular, I've been kind of inspired by the sort of indie game renaissance starting in the, uh, you know, late 2000s on, um, you know, narrative games, exploration games, and especially walking simulators, which I think Black even uh, qualifies as. And so I started working with a lot of different um, uh, prototypes for different game pitches and uh, speaking about games. And uh, as I moved forward uh, working on projects like Black Haven, I eventually just decided that uh, it was time to, to make the switch and go completely in the other direction. So uh, I used to be history professor making games, and now I'm a, a games professor who's also a historian. <laughs> I love it. This is a perfect cross session for uh, history respond. And, uh, you know, I think it's really interesting just taking a wider view of history games. You know, this December we'll be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Oregon Trail, which is kind of like the uh, the Ur text for history games. And that was a game developed by the history undergraduate as a student teacher in Minnesota in 1971. So I feel like, you know, your work is innovative, but it's also kind of returning us back to maybe where we were uh, as history instructors back in the 70s and back in the 80s, you know, during this fruitful time of like using new pedagogical techniques. And uh, so it's really exciting to hear about your background and your focus. I think that's, that's really great. Yeah, I, uh, 
something that just amazes me as a professor. I mean, as as anybody who's an educator gets older, you're always kind of amazed by like, oh, I can't believe my students haven't heard of such and such, you know, and it's just the passage of time. But it's it's just amazing how the staying power of Oregon Trail, like just every, yeah. every generation of students that I have <laughs> have had exposure to Oregon Trail. And of course, I know that they just released a kind of uh, revamp of it. Uh, one of my colleagues at Nebraska, Margaret Huddle, was consulted about um, uh, Native American portrayals in the new version. So I assume that it's just going to hit uh, another generation. So that's, that's it's really incredible. Yeah, it's wild. Um, so let's focus in on the development of Blackhaven. What drew you to tell this particular story? Yeah, I think the, you know, the biggest thing was my experience. I did a fellowship in, at Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia, um, where I was working, uh, doing some 3D reconstructions of uh, stuff there for them. And, you know, Virginia is a place where uh, the history of slavery should be inescapable um, in the 18th century. Uh, the population of Williamsburg was half enslaved. The population of the state was something like 40% enslaved, um, uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and, you know, a place like Williamsburg is, is trying to do a better job of putting that forward. But uh, as I went around looking at other places for architectural reference, particularly a number of um, plantation homes, uh, you know, it really uh, stuck how how little some of them were, were recognizing how central that was. And mm -hmm. I, I went to... Uh, a plantation site where uh, the guide very glowingly told us that the same family uh, that was there in the 1650s still lived in the house today and talking about their, <laughs> their economic success and, and what amazing entrepreneurs they were and uh, as if no one else had contributed to, to their wealth. Um, I went to another uh, very, very prominent historic site where, you know, I had to walk around the tent that they were setting up for the wedding uh, the next day while I was there. And um, just kind of the, the disconnect, you know, going to a place like this as a historian, um, knowing about the awful realities of slavery and about, you know, some of these larger homes, the hundreds of people that would be needed to sustain in a state like that. You know, some of these are, are almost... Uh, uh, there, there was si the size of counties, you know, and had yeah. all of the um, micro cities, even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, would have a, 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 a wharf, you know, a, a, a cooper, a shoemaker, a blacksmith, you know, everything you would expect in a small town, all being done by enslaved people, um, and and not to have any of that represented was just really, really striking. And so um, that that kind of feeling of unease. Uh, led to the creation of this, this fictional plantation home, uh, Blackhaven Hall, um, and then the experience that, that Kendra has um, as she is first working there as a summer intern and then starts snooping around uh, off the clock. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy the ways in which this game, you know, through Kendra's story, the ways in which this game has you poke and prod at the established narrative related to Blackhaven Hall. I think that's really useful thing, you know, for history students, but then just anybody out, uh, you know, playing this game, be useful lessons about the ways in which, you know, kind of established narratives of the past need to be critiqued and they need to be, you know, analyzed, um, you know, as we go forward. And I think, uh, you know, the elements that you brought in as somebody who teaches U.S. history uh, every semester, the elements you brought in 
of this kind of um, plantation chic, you could almost call it, where, you know, it's a very fancy, nice uh, historical society that Kendra's working for. And then, you know, like you had uh, your own experience, there's brochures related to having weddings there. And, you know, it's a huge problem. Uh, you know, where I grew up in Texas, and I've taught also in Louisiana, where, you know, these plantation sites are treated as, um, you know, places for history, but then also places for popular events, and without much context related to what actually happened in those places in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and another thing I think that, that gets lost, which is just a practical thing, is, is the sense of scale. You know, again, mm -hmm. you have you have one house, but that may be being supported by hundreds of people working on up to a, like a dozen satellite farms. And just none of that can be physically represented. Um, I will say um, in Louisiana, I believe it's the Whitney Plantation is the name, but there is a a plantation that has uh, been purchased with the intent of it being a, a museum of American slavery and where they center the experience of enslaved people um, over the family. And uh, I, I think that that has been pretty well received so far. So that, you know, that may be pushing uh, some people to move in different directions. I know also that at um, just this year um, at uh, Montpelier, the uh, um, family home of James Madison, uh, that they came to an agreement with the uh, descendant community of the enslaved people who were there uh, for co-ownership um, on their uh, governing board uh, for that institution. And so I think things like that also kind of point a way forward. But uh, there are many other places, unfortunately, like Black Haven that are, are just not even interested in, in considering these things yet. Yeah, definitely. So uh, with Black Haven, there's obviously a lot of historical research and thought that went into this. And I'm wondering, what kind of collaboration did you rely on for this project? Yeah, I mean, there were there were a number of different aspects in which they came out. Uh, the first is I had, you know, a fair amount of, you know, I am a historian, this is my area. And, you know, I always think that uh, slavery is one of the most important things that uh, I taught about in the class, if not the mm -hmm. most important thing. Uh, but I did consult uh, with colleagues of mine, uh, people that I visited in Virginia, uh, I had a team of people at Nebraska that included um, historians of uh, uh, 18th and 19th century slavery, of the Black experience, even of uh, Black cinema and storytelling. Um, but, you know, the most important collaboration I had uh, was around the character of Kendra herself. And, you know, this kind of um, came out of the, the concept of the game, because I was thinking about Again, that that disconnect feeling, that uneasy feeling I had, and the, and the, the story of a potential cover up at at Blackhaven, and you know I had thought about versions of the game where maybe you just explore kind of as yourself as a generic protagonist, mm -hmm. uh, but because I wanted a lot of the kind of icky things in the exhibits to be subtle, uh, I was a little worried that some people might miss the point, and so I thought, okay, well you need. We need a protagonist. We need a guide to be sort of editorial uh, on the things you're seeing and, and contextualize this. And so uh, it naturally made sense that maybe that uh, that would be an African-American person. And then I thought, like, well, what are other categories that might kind of make them feel like an outsider? And uh, certainly if they were a woman, certainly if they were young uh, and if they were an employee that just kind of keeps upping it. And so now I feel like I have a really good pitch for a story, but I've created a protagonist that doesn't really match my life experience. And so how am I going to get that portrayal right? And um, a colleague of mine 
at Nebraska uh, connected me uh, with Sharon Roberts, who's a professor um, of mass communication there. Um, and uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Xavier Lone, uh, University of Louisiana is the historically black um, university uh, in New Orleans. Uh, it's the uh, only Catholic HBCU. Um, and uh, we got together a team of um, young women scholars there, uh, undergraduates, and uh, read through the entire script together and uh, talked about the character of Kendra and how she would react to things. And in some cases, had them read the documents that Kendra finds cold and have them, you know, really verbalize their reactions to them in real time <laughs> and, and, and trying to take how how they looked at these things and put them into the, the character of Kendra. And so that was just uh, an incredibly essential and really rewarding uh, experience. And it was also, you know, it was really um, uh, just uh, really thought provoking in some cases, especially when uh, members of our panel disagreed with one another, you know, uh, yeah, they yeah. say like, well, I, you know, I would say blah, blah, blah. The other person said, well, you know, actually I would be more angry or more sedate or whatever. Um, and so we, we tried to kind of find a happy medium. And then the final piece of this puzzle in the portrayal was casting a former Xavier student, uh, Darby Farr, who is a very talented young actress. And, um, you know, I was, I was, a privilege to work with a small group of actors in this, um, but uh, even though she was the the youngest and technically one of the least experienced, uh, she absolutely knocked it out of the park. And uh, the people of just people who appreciate the game always highlight her performance as one of the, the stronger parts. And so that was just a really uh, fantastic way to uh, cement this character as somebody that would be memorable. Yeah, and I think that collaboration work really pays off. I mean, not only with the voice performance, but also with the way that the lines are are read and the way that they come out. You know, I think with a lot of educational games, uh, with a lot of, you know, narrative games like this, you can often tell that they're the product of a single voice. And so they come out as a little bit stilted, I think. But that's definitely not the case with this game. It, you know, Kendra feels like a a real person uh, with real reactions, um, you know, legitimate reactions in a way that I don't think you would have gotten without that kind of collaboration. Yeah, and it was also really important just to lean on, you know, the historical documents themselves too, because, you know, I wrote most of those and I was writing from a variety of different perspectives that, uh, you know, I share possibly even less than a different kind of person living in the 21st century. And so, uh, everything in the game that you read is historical fiction, but it's all based very closely, some, sometimes uh, almost word for word, on, uh, on other archival sources. And so, um, you know, that gives us uh, a multiplicity of, of, of different characters in the game and, and some of our, our also hopefully memorable villains. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can think of a couple. I won't. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't played the game yet. But uh, moving on, I was wondering, with regard to the game's mechanics, uh, what type of inspiration did you draw from other narrative-focused games? I think you'd let in at the beginning of our talk talking about walking simulators, which is often a term, at least in uh, game culture, is used as a pejorative. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, what drew you to that kind of narrative focus? What drew you to that kind of uh, walking simulator look? 
Yeah, uh, I would say first, I mean, I love walking simulators. Uh, I know not everyone does. I think that's totally fine if you don't. I do think that they are very valid as, as games. I'm somebody who, you know, always enjoyed first person shooters, but was really drawn to the parts at which they would focus more on narrative. And so like when Half-Life starts having these little skits or even things like Bioshock, where they're letting a lot of the environment tell the story, I just love that. And so for me, like walking simulators just kind of gave me only only that but sometimes left out the shooting and the action. And, and I found that really rewarding. Um, obvious point of inspiration. I mean, arguably the first major successful walking simulator is Gone Home. And that's a game that just always really stuck with me. Um, but particularly just how similar that is to the process of history, you know, Gone Home it yeah. is a game where a story is told essentially by snooping and the major events of the story have already happened in the past and you're piecing it together. And that's, you know, very similar to the job um, of historians. And the other thing is, and, you know, I'm sure people who are more versed in game history might be able to correct me, but Ganom was the first game that I remember playing that had um, maybe not in the environment because they were still a little bit graphically constrained, but in like the, the 2D art, the the documents and um, books and things that you would find, that those those seemed designed in a way that was totally realistic, that was not immersion breaking, where they would have mm -hmm. different styles of handwriting and, and a variety of graphic design and stuff like that. And I just love that that feeling that it didn't feel like video game text. And I think subsequent examples have expanded that um, to the environment. And you play things like. Uh, life is strange, which people, you know, have all kinds of different gripes about. But one of the things I think is really strong in that is uh, the environmental design. It actually feels like somebody's bedroom. It feels like a school. Um, and, you know, I think to date, the the highest form of this that I've seen is in um, what remains of Edith Finch, where yes. every single room that you go in is absolutely packed, not only with uh, very realistic and appropriate feeling furnishings and stuff like that. But there's a tremendous amount of storytelling that's just baked into every corner of that. And so uh, that that was a real um, a real point of inspiration. I wanted uh, the museum to feel uh, like a real place, even to the point of being a little boring. You know, the architecture <laughs> the architecture of the museum is not spectacular. I don't have you know, uh, these amazing, uh, a little bit of that in the big house, but you know, it's like, what, what makes sense for the story? Well, this was probably built in the late seventies at some point and it's, they have a small budget and, um, you know, and so I looked at photo references for, for pretty drab museums to get a <laughs> sense of, uh, design and even things like floor mats and exit signs and all those, all those little things. And, and I also wanted it to be, a place that it had multiple uh, generations of, um, uh, uh, I don't know, just uh, being an open public institution. And so you can see mm -hmm. the design. Different directors. Yeah, you yeah. can see the design change on certain labels. And of course the, the architecture and the pr presentation is very different in the restoration uh, that's newer than in the older museum. Um, uh, so all of that, I think just that, that like real deep sense of like environmental presence was a big thing. Um, and then in the, uh, you could argue that the latter third of the game, um, which sometimes to myself, I would, I would kind of derisively say like, I'm making like Manila folder simulator 3000 or something, <laughs> uh, but is kind of, um, 
almost like interactive fiction. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and some of that, again, is to get at just a little bit of the feeling of, of drudgery um, of being in the archives and like how you, you know, the, the dig is not always the most dynamic, exciting thing, but also the challenge, which I, th I think has done pretty well based on the reviews, um, to pace these things uh, in a way where um, you feel like you want to go to the next page. Um, yeah. And uh, that is, you know, of all of the, the, the little cheats in terms of quote unquote realism in this game, you know, the biggest one is that Kendra finds a folder with uh, 15 or 16 things that are all arguably bombshells. And in reality, mm -hmm. she'd go through 10,000 pieces of paper before she found yeah. uh, the, <laughs> the one that was interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do think that um, uh, just that, that walking simulators um, or narrative heavy games are, are a really great way for the expression of history. And, you know, just like the development of the, um, just getting, you know, more memory and more texture space and high resolution models and everything uh, has helped um, boost that. I think that's gonna uh, continue uh, in the future where we can get closer and closer to a sense of, of presence in, in some of these places. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, you bring up Gone Home, you bring up What Remains of Edith Fitch, and I've been threatening, you know, my co-host John Hardy and I, we've been threatening to do an episode of History Respawn on Gone Home, you know, with a, a material culture historian, somebody focused on the 90s, and, you know, looking at that game and the way it uses, like you'd said, you know, kind of um, the presence of these spaces and how it uses... Uh, the ways in which these documents are written, the handwriting, and, uh, you know, how that work, uh, you know, going back to something uh, like Bioshock, even environmental storytelling, this is all just what historians do. Uh, it's just that we don't often also have a gun with us. Uh, so <laughs> um, I think, you know, that's all, you can already see a lot of that influence in this game. And, you know, I think looking forward, just as somebody who thinks about you know, maybe transitioning this game, you know, working further on this. I mean, this is a game that could easily be, uh, you know, updated and used for a VR headset. This is a game that uh, could be iterated on and used for different consoles. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a really adaptable template uh, for a game. And it's also when I think, like you said, it works really well for a history focused game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, uh, an interesting thing uh, with this game has been to just see uh, how people come to it with different uh, experiences with history. And, you know, as as a historian, history professor, uh, th there's certain things that, that you forget are going to be new for certain members of your audience. And so I've, I've been um, uh, just kind of impressed with the number of people who are kind of coming to the first time the realization of like, oh yeah, like our history is really shaped by the people in control and it's not necessarily always, <laughs> always reflective, which is, you know, kind of a base level observation. But, you know, if that's new for, for people when they play the game, then that's a, that's a really awesome thing. So with regards to the players, uh, you know, you don't design a game like this unless you're trying to impart some sort of lesson to them. So I'm wondering, you know, without spoiling too much, what do you hope players get out of playing Blackhaven? Yeah, I think the, you know, the first thing, I mean, kind of connects to just what I was just saying is, is to think about, 
you know, uh, when they kind of dig deeper uh, with Kendra into Blackhaven and realize the amount of things that have been uh, fudged or misrepresented, um, uh, for them to think critically about other historical narratives that they're encountering, and, and especially uh, anything on similar topics in American history, um, and, and maybe just think a little bit critically about that and wonder what led to the um, construction of the story that I'm hearing and how my reality diverged from that. Um, on a more specific level, I think there's a, a number of things that was going for. Um, one is, uh, you know, something that's been discussed a lot in the last couple of years, and that's just how uh, the legacy of um, slavery and that exploitation persists to the present day. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the early part of the game is focused primarily on the 18th century and the kind of uh, cult of the founding fathers and uh, little holes that are kind of being poked in the patriotic narrative there. Um, but when you get into the uh, kind of nitty gritty of it, it goes much later into the 19th and even into the 20th century. And, and of course, when we get to the character of, of Dorothy Mitchell, uh, all the way up to the present day. And so uh, it's a way to show uh, that both the, the benefits accrued by the exploitation uh, of slavery, unfortunately, persist to the present day. The Harwood family is still doing really great uh, as a result of their um, conduct in the, in the slave trade and the slave system. Um, and that the harms also persist. Uh, and uh, we see ways in which uh, people are still dealing with disadvantages for uh, you know, uh, crimes against humanity that have, have happened almost almost two centuries ago in some cases. Uh, but the flip side of that, uh, that I also want to see people to see is that there's that there's a constant pushback and that there mm -hmm. are levels of resistance that have happened not only from enslaved people themselves, but from their descendants and from the black community at every stage of this. And both that because of the power differentials that they're not always successful, uh, but they are always present. And um, uh, so that they, um, you know, that, that this is not just a, a story of, of, of people who are um, uh, willingly uh, experiencing uh, these degradations, but are constantly pushing back and making difficult choices and, um, you know, trying to do in very bad situations, what's the best for them and their families. And then, uh, you know, something uh, that I don't know that I, I could claim to have intended for this, but I was very flattered that our, our collaborators brought up um, is that uh, this potentially um, uh, for some black players is an opportunity for them to uh, like actively reclaim a stake in museum spaces. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, uh, Sharon uh, Roberts and Xavier, who uh, helped with the script, said, you know, that when you are African-American, uh, especially if you live in a place like Louisiana, um, everywhere is a museum of your history. And it's, it, it's, and it's a, in many cases, a very negative history. Um, and she even talked about how um, uh, up until a couple of years ago, uh, her office uh, at Xavier was on Jefferson Davis Parkway. <laughs> um, and, uh, just the, the irony of, of being in an HBCU and, and having that situation. Um, and so, uh, you know, through the magic of video games, you know, we get to embody in a, in a very, uh, safe way, 
um, people pushing back into museum spaces and archives where they perhaps haven't felt welcome in the past, uh, but now get to sort of um, uh, enact uh, a story of, uh, of resistance in that space and kind of reclaim that. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. And I think that does come across in the game really well. And it's one that, you know, I'm eager to expose to my students because this issue of, you know, legitimate official history, you know, the students, they come into history courses and, uh, you know, they look at what's been written about history in a museum or in a, a state textbook and they assume that that is the real past and there, you know, anything that goes against that is untrue. And so it's really hard to get across to them that history is about different interpretations and evolving interpretations and how things that have been written, you know, in hard stone at a museum or a historical marker or something like that can be criticized and could be overturned. And I think that this game gets to that really well. And, you know, with regard to your other point about resistance, I think, you know, that's another issue that students have trouble with, you know, is they're like, they come into these classes and they say, well, why haven't people been resisting this, you know, since the beginning? Well, you know, why are we only now hearing about it? Well, it's like, well, actually, they have been resisting. It's just been kind of buried. And I think this game gets to that point and gets to the ways in which politics plays into historical memory uh, really well. Um, so yeah, good work. Yeah, and, and even like in the writing of history, you know, like we have W.E.B. Du Bois writing very clear histories of Reconstruction, you know, really early and really prominently, and that not getting through, and you know, black historians of this period are. Um, arguably not really being represented in the academy until like John Hope Franklin in like the 30s. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so, what happens next with Blackhaven? I know that the game kind of ends actually with a, a promotion about a, a future game. So, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, I have uh, I've been working on Blackhaven, came out of an early kind of prototype that I developed when I was at Nebraska, pretty, I mean, pretty advanced as a prototype, but not quite a workable game uh, called Cassius, uh, which takes place at Blackhaven Hall uh, during uh, the American Revolution. Um, And I won't say a whole lot more about it than that, but that was the origin of the, um, the kind of mythology of the Harwood family. And there are, uh, uh, if that game uh, gets finished, then, um, uh, there are many, many additional sort of Easter eggs in, in Blackhaven that are not not clear right now that will that will really hit um, once people play that. Uh, but uh, that that's a pretty big project, and so um, I'm kind of waiting uh, to see uh, how Blackhaven does and and how the um, uh, interest in it grows. Um, uh, so far, the reception has been pretty good, and there's pretty decent numbers for uh, that. It's about the uh, a month since it's been out, but. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And then in the short term, um, I'm going to make a, a much smaller game uh, for a much wider audience um, about uh, Paul Revere's ride uh, in the style of the uh, Grant Wood painting um, uh, depicting Paul Revere's ride that's kind of uh, both uh, a little whimsical and a little subversive. And uh, I'm just I'm very interested in the way in which uh, kind of another mythologized character, although uh, fortunately a uh, relatively much more admirable one in Paul Revere has been reused um, over the centuries in American history to represent different purposes. And so 
uh, most notably by um, uh, Longfellow using a poem that was designed to rally people uh, to support abolition in the lead up to the Civil War, and then later by Grant Wood uh, in a way uh, to kind of marshal a, a kind of a shared uh, American patriotism uh, uh, directed against rising fascism in Europe. And so mm. um, I think thematically uh, that that's just kind of an interesting thing, but the game itself is going to be uh, a, a very small all ages uh, thing with a, a guy on a little horse and uh, we'll see how that works out. Nice. Those sound great. Um, so I'd like to end each episode discussion episode with uh, my guests asking them what they've been playing recently, uh, just so that uh, the listeners get a sense of the fact that historians and scholars, they're real people, they play games. And uh, so I'm wondering, uh, what have you been playing recently in addition to your own games? Yeah, uh, most recently I've been playing the uh uh, Switch version of uh, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, which I missed, mm. missed the first time. And so... Uh, a lot of people did, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I could, you know, I could see I could see the frustration uh, in, some, in some aspects, but I am enjoying it. Um, and also, I mean, as, as people have already remarked, it's, it's amazing to play that after Breath of the Wild, which I, I adored, because you can see... Uh, lots of the kind of nascent ideas and mechanics that they're trying out that aren't quite uh, as natural feeling as they will eventually be, um, like the climbing and gliding and different things. Um, so that's been cool. And then I haven't actually played it yet, but I have uh, downloaded uh, the Forgotten City, the um, Skyrim mod that is kind of vaguely yes. uh, uh, Pompeii-ish. Um, and so um, I'm excited to, to try that out and... Uh, see um uh, how something on on kind of a, a much bigger scale uh is handled and also i'm really curious about their um environmental design because they're dealing with a uh a, a decent sized map but also how they were constrained by working within um the framework of a mod and just how all mm -hmm. that all that comes out so i think that'll be fun mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, I started at the top talking about Oregon Trail and then kind of leading into Blackhaven. And, you know, I would say one of the most fruitful areas for historians and others to actually get involved in game development in the, you know, decades since Oregon Trail is through modding. You know, I can think about my own life. I started uh, getting interested in games in the early 90s and making uh, historically accurate mods for Civilization 2. And so I think that that kind of community, particularly around, you know, 4X games, strategy games, but then also to a certain extent with RPG games like Skyrim, that has been a really fruitful place for the development of, you know, history games, uh, maybe not published in the same way as Blackhaven and uh, it's Forgotten City, but, you know, still history games nonetheless. So, yeah, it's a really fascinating area. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and that those like, you know, mo uh, modding or semi modding platforms just continue. I mean, obviously, we'd have lots of stuff in Minecraft. Uh, you know, there's the whole Roblox thing, which I don't even really understand yet, but uh, I keep hearing about and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and I, I imagine that it's just going to uh, continue uh, from there. It, it, uh, 
uh, both uh, positively and negatively for hardworking game devs. Uh, it's only going to get easier to make games each year. So it's going to be yeah. really interesting to see um, uh, what comes up as it becomes more and more democratized. And now I'm going to court controversy here a little bit. I'm going to ask you a question about Zelda Breath of the Wild. Okay. And I want to know from your perspective, what do you make of the durability issue in that game <laughs> with weapons? Um, it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, when I'm playing it, especially in the early stages, I hate it. Uh, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not like a super skilled, uh, game player reaction wise, which is another reason why sometimes I'm drawn to, uh, like narrative games. And so I found it really annoying and frustrating. Um, but I don't know that I can completely argue against it because by the time that I was, um, at Hyrule Castle and had my master sword and my, uh, uh, you know, anti-robot arrows and all of that stuff. It just felt amazing. <laughs> like the, mm -hmm. the journey that it takes you on. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like this may be like the game version of like eat your vegetables or something like that. Because <laughs> there, there really is a payoff. And it also just, you know, like it speaks to, just the ongoing conversation between game developers and, and audiences, you know, Zelda, uh, by virtue of, you know, making arguably like some of the best games on every generation of, of video games from their inception, uh, has a tremendous amount of trust. And so people are going to stick with things that are frustrating. Um, but if you're new on the block, they might not. And so that's a, that's an interesting dynamic. And even to bring it back to Blackhaven, um, you know, like there are all kinds of choices uh, that I made in this game that I knew in terms of like subtlety uh, would bring me more players who appreciated that. But then I would lose players who found it to be uh, too dry or too slow. Um, and so there's always an interesting trade off about um, how players are experiencing different choices. Yeah, good. OK, so. Uh, Breath of the Wild, part inspiration for Blackhaven is what you're telling me there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, James, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. All right. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. So Blackhaven is currently available for free on Steam, and you can learn more about Blackhaven and follow-up projects by traveling to historiated.com. And thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of the History Respawn podcast. Uh, please visit historyrespawn.com for latest news and episodes, as well as our archives. And if you really enjoy our work, please consider supporting us on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history respawn. And until next time, listener, goodbye. Goodbye.